Aloha, my name is Christopher Domicio, and I am the author of a very good novel, Coronavirus. <laughs> this is chapter 19, called Coast to Coast. You can find the whole thing at averygoodnovel.com. Here we go. Chapter 19, Coast to Coast. The pandemic restrictions were being lifted faster than the virus was con- contracting. Bob followed the case count and was shocked to see that not only were the number of deaths per day going up, both globally and in the USA, but also that doctors were logging new symptoms. One of the most curious aspects of the new deaths was the fact that the majority of the new intakes to most major hospitals seemed to be coming from sheltering in place in their homes. At first, this data made him think that maybe lifting restrictions was a good idea. Then he took a trip to the grocery store. Bob clearly saw where people were getting infected. At the store, shoppers were lined up in winding stanchions that put them into close contact and proximity with hundreds of other shoppers for an extended period. Bob stood in the line for over an hour and counted how many of his fellow shoppers he was within a dozen feet of by the time he got to the front door. 162. Yes, the guidelines called six foot a safe distance, but the number seemed arbitrary, and when he asked the med box about it, they said that the guidelines had been set in the 1950s and 12 foot was considered a likely infection zone. Inside the store, Bob was forced to be in far closer proximity to right around 50 other shoppers just walking through the aisles. This was where people were getting sick. He was sure of it. There was something else that was off, though. The more he looked at the data, the more he was sure of it. The number of deaths in the USA stayed right around 2,000 per day from the moment the president started talking about reopening the economy. It ranged from 1,700 to 2,100 on a non-linear basis. There was monkey business going on somewhere. Bob was sure that the actual number of deaths was being misreported, but since the data was coming from so many places, that seemed like a particularly hard conclusion to validate. Then, someone on the post box mentioned that their county coroner had been sacked and replaced because he'd been appointed by a previous administration. That was when it hit him. City and county coroners were political appointments. So were state medical examiners. The job of both positions is to log the deaths in their jurisdiction with the cause, if and if foul play was suspected, to get an inquest into the circumstances. That was it. The political appointees were doing what they were told. It was a powerful epiphany. Bob put a call through on the message boards to find the party affiliation of the coroners and medical examiners of the largest jurisdictions in the country. Next, he and a team of data scientists who were finding themselves particularly bored with being locked down correlated the death rates in counties across the country with party affiliation of the coroners and medical examiners. The results were shocking. Republican counties and states had around the same number of deaths as their Democrat counterparts, but the causes of death were highly divergent. Red states and counties had far higher cancer, natural cause, and other non-pandemic illnesses than blue states. Blue states and counties had far higher pandemic-related deaths. Looking at the numbers, one could easily deduce that the pandemic was less deadly in Republican-controlled areas or that the books were being cooked. Diving deeper, they found that since the calls to reopen had begun, the number of deaths from non-pandemic causes had been skyrocketing in red areas. The result was that daily COVID-19 deaths were staying within the range of 1,700 to 2,100 deaths per day. It was a lie that was becoming harder for the administration to keep as the numbers continued to grow. Bob and his crew were estimating the number of deaths per day in the USA were closer to 4,000 in the beginning of May. The Trump administration was also having a hard time keeping the lie and began to soften the public with gradual incremental increases mentioned in each briefing. The master of lies said, We can expect the daily death toll to rise up to 3,000 deaths per day in June, as one day and then the next. We're looking at around 3,100 cases every day after the economy opens, but we think it's worth it. 
Meanwhile, he'd chosen the Guns N' Roses tune Live and Let Die as his theme song, a choice that Bob found to be more than a little disturbing, but one which the President's fans embraced. Bob assumed that it was the rich who would live and the poor who would die. The President's supporters must have thought it was a different split, maybe us and them. The Russian virus was doing an amazing amount of damage, and the shelter-in-place orders were actually restricting the spread of the Gaia virus in dense urban areas. It was a perfect storm of tragedy for those in the Northeast, and probably for those in southern cities as well, but those numbers were more difficult to suss out. Back at home, Bob heard a knock on the door. It was Zeta. He opened the door, and Zeta came in. He removed his mask. Aren't you afraid you might have the virus? Bob asked. It was the right question. People thought they were protecting themselves with the mask, but in fact, they were protecting others. Zeta was putting Bob at risk by taking off his mask. Oh, man, Zeta said, realizing his mistake and grabbing for his mask. Sorry, Bob. Bob reached out and stopped him before he could put the mask on. No problem. Let's take the chance. I need to talk to you. Bob wasn't worried about catching the virus. He wore a mask when he went out, but that was to protect others in case he did have it. If someone was comfortable going maskless in front of him, he was fine with it, too. Zeta flopped on the couch. He wasn't in a postal uniform, so this must be his day off. I had a visitor yesterday, Bob started. Zeta couldn't help commenting. Yeah, I saw your lady friend on the porch. Are you in love, buddy? You gonna ask Dr. Zeta for some love advice? They both laughed. No, Bob finally said. It's more complicated. That was Megan Brennan, the Postmaster General of the United States of America. What? Zeta was flipping his wig now. That lady on your porch was Megan Brennan. What the fuck was she doing here, Bob? They didn't know if this was good or bad, but it couldn't be anything in between. What was the U.S. Postmaster General doing on your shitty-ass porch, Bob? I'm not really sure, it turns out. Bob had thought about the meeting and debated whether to invite Fuzzy Bunny 272 onto the servers. She was concerned with my interest in the USPS, and after I told her about the Discord servers, she wanted to be invited onto them. Mostly, though, she seemed like she wanted to know who I was. Wait, 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 wait. Let me get this straight. The USPG came to your house to introduce herself and to get an invitation onto your message boards? Is that what I'm hearing you say? Zeta didn't know what to think of this information. She was his boss, but a boss so high that he'd never expected to see her, or her to see him. She'd been delivering... She'd seen him when he was delivering the mail. That was when he remembered the news he'd heard that morning at the depot. She got replaced yesterday, he told Bob. I wonder if it has any connection to her coming here. Holy shit, Bob, did you get the PG fired? Bob didn't think that was likely, but he was shocked to hear that she had been replaced. She got fired? Zeta explained the whole situation. One thing postmen were good at was the transmission of scuttlebutt. It wasn't just the mail that the USPS delivered. I heard the whole thing is because Trump wants to use the USPS to fuck with Amazon and she's refused. I mean, she resigned back in October and they announced they were seeking a replacement, but it seems weird that it would happen the same day that she came here. So she's gone, Bob asked. It made him sad. He liked her. No, it's a government thing, so the transition can take a while. There'll be at least some period where the new boss takes over and the old boss transfers out. Should I invite her to the post box server? What do you think, Zeta? I've, I've been debating this myself for the past 24 hours. Zeta nodded enthusiastically. Yeah, you definitely should. She's an old school hard ass, though. If she were staying in post, I would advise that you think about it. But since she's leaving and obviously, you know, the enemy of our enemy, I think she'll bring a lot to the table. Definitely bring her in. Good, Bob said. I wanted to, but I didn't want to jump the gun on this. He walked over to the kitchen table, sat down in front of his laptop. Looking at the note with her email address, he subvocalized his actions. Invite new member, enter email, fuzzybunny227 at protonmail.com, and send invite. 
He hit the button. Zeta was laughing. The most hard-ass woman on the planet has fuzzybunny227 as her email? That's some funny shit. You want to hear something really funny? Bob asked. Gaia prefers Apple to Microsoft. Both men collapsed in laughter. Zeta squeezed out, of course she does, but does that make Steve Jobs the snake in Eden? And they both laughed for a moment more before realizing how weirdly profound that statement was. The postbox community had ballooned. It now included nearly a million members. The newly hired veterans were flocking to Vetbox and had been compartmentalized into several divisions consisting of regiments, which were made up of platoons. The organizational structures were proving to be a lifeline, but one big problem was that a lot of the newly hired vets were Trumpists. With an open invitation system, they had known that this might become a problem, but with the explosion in members, there was also an explosion in those who supported the president. Colonel Potter, who now had the rank of sub-general, had wisely suggested that they create Trump regiments and other pro-Trump sections within the major divisions. This idea allowed the Trumpists to largely self-segregate and exist within their own bubbles. The Trump areas of Postbox were ecstatic at the news that Brennan was on the way out. These sections of the servers were filled with badly photoshopped porn and crude memes along with sensationalist conspiracy theories that seemed to give an unhealthy obsession with vaccine conspiracies, child molesting conspiracies, and with Bill Gates. The box tops were all careful about who they brought into the trusted circles. There was a danger of infiltration in the bottom tiers, but that of the top of the pyramid needed to be a safe zone. As long as everything was filtered downward in the proper way, there was little danger of that happening from within. Funny Bunny, Fuzzy Bunny 272 quickly moved up the ranks. Had she been staying in her job, she would have been alarmed at the complexity and depth of the post-box organization. But since she was leaving, she found it exhilarating. While she hadn't identified herself, the power of her voice was quickly identified by group commanders, and she was promoted to moderator, invited to the next level, promoted again, and so forth. In a relatively short period of time, just five days, she was attending meetings of the box tops and making suggestions. They all knew who she was, and while it may have contributed a small amount to her incredibly rapid rise, mostly it was the force of her own personality that brought her up there. I'd be fired for telling you about this, she wrote, but have you heard of ROP 1-75? This was when they learned the truth about the post office. She was telling a handful of people that she mostly only knew by their scream names about the most heavily guarded secret of the post office. At this point, there were two reasons for that. First, if she was going to use it, she only had days or maybe weeks. Second, if she wasn't, she was damned if she would let Trump and his stooge to joy have it. She decided to break with tradition and not inform her successor about the protocols. He would be the postmaster, but only the postmaster who had publicly listed duties, nothing else. There was another reason she was spending so much time and energy on the post box. It was the perfect place to plan a postal strike. Well... That's it for chapter 19. I hope you enjoyed it, and I'll see you next time with chapter 20, titled The Great American Reopening.